Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. All right, friends, David here. How are you today? It's episode 103, Why I Sometimes Hate Black Backdrops. <laughs> Hope you enjoy that title. Um, truth be told, today's going to be a little bit of a mishmash. Um, you know, there's somewhat of a social experiment in this. There isn't everything a social experiment these days. Uh, but, uh, we're going to go through, talk about some news, talk about some, some new stuff, and uh, talk about... Um, your questions. So yesterday, actually, um, the day before I recorded this, I put out an email to uh, those of you who subscribe via email. And, you know, it sends out to um, a a good number of people, I should say, um, greater than 10,000. And I'm interested and surprised that, you know, I get a fair amount of questions and people on various social channels and whatnot um, asking for help. And, you know, we help people through the labs and whatnot. And once in a while, I go and send out an email asking for questions, and I, I'm i surprised, because I think I did this a month ago, at how few I get. I just think it's a great opportunity for you to ask me anything. I'll answer anything on this show. And um, and we get very few actual questions in, so I'm really surprised by that. But, anywho, those who ask the question, they get more of my uh, attention, so they, they're, they're the real winners here. Um but first, before we get there, guys, I want to talk about a couple things. One, uh, today our sponsor of this show, something we've been trying, is Amazon, okay? So if you shop through Amazon, and if you're in the U.S. or a lot of other places in the world, you probably do, then uh, could you do us a favor here on the show? Just shop through learnstagelighting.com slash Amazon. That's learnstagelighting.com. You've been to that site before. You've heard of that place, right? Because this is the podcast <laughs> slash Amazon. And right there, it'll take you straight to Amazon. And then everything you buy over the next uh, 24 hours, or if you basically, um, anything you, you buy right then or, or a little later in the day, um, I'll get a small commission. Now, it is a small commission, but you know what? It adds up to something. It helps the site uh, continue to grow, helps me to make this podcast and make it for free for you, and, and do things like answer your questions on days like this. So it is very helpful to me when you do shop through there, learnstagelighting.com slash Amazon. Now, in lighting news, guys, uh, we got some some news items today. I just want to talk about some some interesting things. Because, um, you know, as we've talked about before on, on the podcast, um, even though the event industry is almost is stalled in a lot of places now, there's some places doing shows. You know, I see some people doing that um, here in the U.S., in uh, New Zealand. Seeing some places doing shows in the U.S., of course, they're not the normal show by any means. There's social distancing. It may be a drive-in thing. It may be a smaller amount of people. Masks need to be worn, etc. Um, but in places like New Zealand, like I've got a student in New Zealand, I think I think this where he is, or maybe Australia, where they've got zero or few cases, uh, they're really able to open up a good bit, and they're they're having shows again. That's great. But even while shows are not happening, you know, the manufacturers in our business are still working hard, still bringing stuff out because a lot of the the new things that they're bringing out, new software, hardware, whatever, uh, these things were in development uh, long before all of this madness hit. And so, and so basically, um, you know, stuff's still happening. Things are still moving on. Right. And, uh, no, and, and so we, we see some new stuff. One of the new things, is um, many of you guys know I use a lighting visualizer in many of my videos. I use one called Capture. It's a very popular one. There's other ones as well. Um, and, um, you know, there's other ones as well. But 
Um, and, and there's there, some of them are good, some of them are bad. You know, I, I, I like to keep an open mind. I've been testing this one called L8 for a while, but Capture. Um, they actually put out an iOS version of their app, which is kind of interesting. Now, my iPad's too old to run this thing. You know, if you guys listen, you guys know I'm a former Mac user and definitely never been a fan of iOS. Um, and it's interesting to me that they've put out an iOS app. Now, visualizers, I got to tell you, over the last few months, I've really seen a lot of growth and a lot of interesting things happen with visualizers, okay? Um, Capture, in particular, has worked really hard to set up within their visualizer basically a two-way communication between various consoles. I know it works with Onyx now, and I think it works with some other consoles as well. And the cool thing about this two-way communication um, with Onyx that's in beta is that um, it uses a protocol called CITP that I thought was just for video and media servers. Um, but turns out you can use it literally, and I've demoed this and I uh, have a video I made for my lab students because um, it's it's still in beta on Onyx and I'll cover it more when it, when it actually comes out. But what this allows you to do is, one, um, it makes linking up Capture with the Onyx console or PC like really fast um, and super duper easy. Um, and then the other thing it does is that it allows that two-way communication. So what do I mean by two-way communication, okay? And, and um, I'm kind of going on a rabbit trail here, but I'll go back to my rabbit trail there. And uh, while my floor shakes because there's some thunder, so hopefully that's not too loud for you guys, but uh, it's a rainy, thundery day. Um, but the two-way communication means that, and this isn't even the story I was covering, means that I can go and capture and I can actually focus a light, you know, because I can go in there and I can click around on my virtual stage and if it's to scale and the profiles for the lights are correct, which a lot of times they are pretty close, I can literally click where I want the light to point if it's a moving light and it moves there. But then it also moves it in the console, in the programmer, in Onyx. And so that's really cool. But Capture for iOS um, supposedly has some of those same features uh, as I was getting to on the top. Um, my iPad is apparently just a little bit too old. It's now fallen off and it can't get iOS 13 which means I can't install Capture for iOS and test it, um, but I, I will get there at some point. If I, you know, I'm going to go watch the videos on it and probably upgrade my iPad at some point, but I'm also not in a hurry just because I don't know how much I'd use it. Um, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't, hard to say. But uh, if, if you're interested in Capture, you've used it before, you know, you can, you can check it out. Um, I don't have any really relationship with the company or anything like that. I don't get paid if you buy it, but it's a tool that I've been using um, for, gosh maybe 10 years now. No, not 10 years, maybe eight or nine years, honestly. Um, and it's a really great tool that I use, especially to teach and to be able to build virtual stages. And it's definitely something that I'm seeing more and more students using more and more people investing in and finding use out of. And I think now that there's the two way communication specifically with Onyx and uh, the, the ability to do it on other consoles in the future, I think that's a big deal, and I think um, what we're going to see is more of that and more people using it outside of just um, kind of the higher-end events. Um, but interestingly enough, I've been working in Capture. I um, hope you don't mind my rant. And I've also been working in another app called Laser OS lately, uh, work, testing with a laser. We'll see more about this uh, soon. That's just a little hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and Laser OS is an app that runs on Windows, Mac, and Android. I think it's just really interesting. Of course, I'm a big Android person. I always have been. And if you listen to the show, you probably are sick and tired of me saying about how much I don't like iOS. But it's it's interesting to me to see industry apps and which ones they choose. Because 
it's really divided with, with different lighting apps. Some go only iOS because, you know, if you're with iOS, there's a very small amount of hardware that's carefully controlled by Apple that can run iOS, specifically the latest version of iOS. You know, the, the, the amount of gear, the amount of, uh, you know, phones and tablets that can run it are very limited and Apple has very tight control over them. So you can expect similar performance from what I gather. With Android, of course, it's it's a completely open system. There are lots of different phones and tablets from lots of manufacturers, some of them better developed than others, especially if it's like a kind of a no-name thing. Sometimes the version of Android's not very good on them, um, though that's less and less something you run into than, than it used to be. You used to run into that a lot more. Um, but it's just interesting to see that, you know, the, other, the, the real perk, actually, of Android is that it allows you to use all of the sensors and and uh, all of the features of the hardware, basically, whereas iOS often doesn't. And it's interesting to me that uh, Capture went iOS, but somebody like LaserOS went Android. Uh, there's an app I use a lot, City Theatrical's DMX Cat. It goes with the device they sell, but you can also use a free version that has some tools in it. And there's more tools for that in Android than there are on the iOS because Apple doesn't let um, third-party developers use things like the light sensor um, that the DMX Cat app uses. And so I just think it's interesting that some people go iOS, some go Android with their development, some go both, sure. But it's just interesting to me. You know, I'm obviously not a software developer. I say that here often, but I get to work with these people. I get to talk with developers for these different companies and work with them. And it's always interesting to see, for me, what choices they make and which ones they use. Um, because it's really split, you know? And, and there's, there's not really a conclusion there, but, but hey, something else I saw recently in the, the, all the trade magazines, of course, you know, I get these magazines that have all this news and have pictures of the latest tours and stuff. And, you know, oftentimes the various magazines cover the same things, but now they really are having to get creative because there's not really many shows happening right now. Of course, they're starting to cover things like the drive-in movie um, type shows that are starting to happen and stuff like that. But the Keen Tour, I don't know if you guys know about Keen. Um, they've been around a while. They're a British band, I think, kind of an alternative rock group, excuse me. And uh, they, I heard, I heard an interview, actually, with their lighting designer, but they've got these, uh, or no, I didn't. I just heard talk about it, and I read this article. Um, Louisa Smurthwaite is her name. Uh, she's a British designer, and she comes from the theater world. And I think looking at this tour, there's an article on PLSN uh, magazine. We'll link to that in the show notes. But I really think um, that this is a good one to look at because this is what happens when you take a theatrical lighting designer and you give them a concert delight or somebody with a theatrical background. And, and Louisa here, she's done other other tours before with, with music and stuff. Um, but the attention to detail and kind of just the theatrical nature of the lighting looks is so good i just think it looks so awesome it is such a good looking tour it the show looks amazing and i think it's a a tribute to as well to the fact that a lot of us in our shows in our services whatever we do may not have all the resources right i mean you open these magazines and a lot of these uh, shows that they showcase are huge okay a lot of them are big with big budgets and, um, you know, tons of lights. And it's like, well, of course they can make it look right, look nice, right? You know, of course they can. But 
it's when somebody has a smaller tour, like this Keen tour, I mean, it's more lights than a lot of you guys have, and I know that, but it's not a massive, massive amount. But the looks that they create and the interesting show that they create are really good. Now, I just want to highlight a couple things that they've done that I think are really cool. Uh, one is that the uh, drum riser is all lit up underneath. I think that's that's a unique uh, thing. Uh, number two, again, all these, you know, none of these things are like brand new, right? But it's the combination of the different things that this tour did that I think make for a really great show. Um, the other thing that they did is that the backdrop behind the band, and I'm going to have a rant on this in a second, <laughs> the backdrop behind a band behind the band is a psych. It's just a, a white or gray backdrop. There's no lights directly behind the band, no video screens at all. And I think that's really cool. And I just think it gives such a clean, nice look. And you can see in the pictures that are in the article how that makes it so if you like the backdrop, you see the backdrop. It looks big. It looks like a massive stage. If you don't like the, the backdrop, the stage gets much more minimalist, feels smaller, more intimate. And you can do this too on any stage that you're on. You can scale the size of the stage back and forth. Same with these lights they've got on the sides, though all the pictures um, have them on. But they've got all these lights on the sides. I believe they're Mac or just wash moving lights. And they basically have four um, vertical trusses on each side that are kind of staggered in a stair step on the side of the stage. This is a trick I love to use, you know, putting lights in that position. And they can turn those on and off to really expand the stage from side to side horizontally as well, or do some other um, th cool things. And so really great looking show, really great looking show um, and refreshing to not see, you know, behind the band just covered and smothered in lights. Um, really cool just to see all the different looks and the creativity that comes out of this, um, because this is definitely like they stuck to a budget on this one, right? There are not a lot of profile moving lights because those are more expensive. Most of them are wash type moving lights. And, um, you know, it's it's fairly minimalist. And I think it just looks great. And so I wanted to highlight it, share it with you, because I think, uh, I think you can learn from any show you look at. There's things you can pick up, things you can learn, things that you can um, gain uh, interesting and new knowledge from. But, um, but you know... I just wanted to point out these things. That's my point. That's all I got. So, anywho, guys, main segment here. We're going to answer your questions today. But first, I want to talk about backdrops for stages for a second. All right, so backdrops rant. <laughs> Not really a rant. I mean, maybe. Um, so there's been a trend, definitely, especially in the church world, um, recently, over the past few years, to have black backdrops painted behind stages. Like, all these churches, you know, wanting to do more modern things, um, go ahead and paint their black, their backdrop black, just like, that's like their first step. That's what everybody, everybody, in quotes, it's not really everybody, but it's what has been a really popular thing to do, and I gotta tell you, I'm not a fan. What? Um, so, let me explain. Um, sometimes a black backdrop is the right thing. You know, obviously, if you look at stage designs, if you look at churches and concerts and things like that, um, a lot of, especially live music concert stage backgrounds, a lot of those tend to be black, right? That's a pretty typical, um, you know, rock concert look is just a black backdrop. But like I was talking about with that Keen show, um, you really can do a lot better than black. 
So the reason why I don't like black backdrops a lot of the time is because if you shine lights on a black backdrop, they all about disappear. They're not very bright against it, okay? And so now you're essentially losing the ability to color the area behind the stage, which I think is, is one of the most powerful parts of the canvas that you have. Because the audience, if they're looking at the performer on stage, then they're seeing the backdrop. And if it's black, then it's pretty much always the same thing. I mean, you can put lights on it, but they have to be really bright to cut through um, because they're shining on something that's black, which means it essentially doesn't reflect much light back. And we like surfaces that reflect light back because that's what looks good under lights. So what do we do? Um, I got to tell you guys, you know, this is just a little tidbit here. My favorite backdrops on any type of show or install or anything like that is a medium to dark gray. Why is a medium to dark gray so good? Because if you take a medium to dark gray backdrop and you shine lights on it, you get great colored light and it typically picks up really well. You can see it. You can make it whatever color you want. Okay, except white, I guess. You can't, I mean, but even if you shine white light at it, it does look pretty white. But regardless, you get a lot of different options as to colors on that backdrop, okay? If you keep your light off of that backdrop, you keep that backdrop dark, then guess what? It looks black. Yeah. And so that's why I really think it's the best of both worlds and why, I, you know, it, it's like almost as black as a black backdrop. Okay. A dark gray one is. And so that's usually my recommendation. And that's why, um, you know, it's a short rant, but that's why I'm such a big fan of dark gray backdrops because they allow you to, sure, if you can keep all your front lights, you know, sometimes you have to design around this to keep your 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 front light um, off the backdrop. Sometimes you can't. That means you can't have somebody right against the backdrop and light them. They have to be forward um, a good bit, depending on your angles. But it allows you to get so many different combinations, so many looks, so many different colors out of a backdrop. And I think it's just so much more worth it over using just a black backdrop. Um, I think going black and just painting it black is cheap. Um, and I don't like it. So maybe you uh, agree with me, maybe you don't. But regardless, here are some questions that you guys were asking uh, today. And so I always love hearing from you guys. Always love to answer your questions. Um, as I noted at the start of this, you know, I get a fair amount of people asking for help, asking for questions, and I can't respond to general questions, um, all the ones that used to come in my inbox when I accepted them because there were so many, I never had time to answer them all. And so that's why, you know, under a regular basis, um, I answer questions for people personally inside of Lauren Stage Lighting Labs. Uh, JP and I do that. And, um, but every once in a while, I like to go ahead and just shoot out an email, ask you guys for your questions, what you're dealing with, and, you know, answer them. And it's like, if I, if I send out a, an email and, and answer the next day, um, answer the questions the next day, basically read them and answer them, it comes down to not be so overwhelming that I can't possibly answer them all. And so I love doing it this way, but I'm always open to feedback as well. So Nick writes in, first question, um, Nick Sanders, do you anticipate any further updates to D-Pro? This is Entech's D-Pro software. He says it's been a, quite a while, about two years since we got 1.81, and Apple is about to uh, release a major OS update. Thanks, David. So Nick, uh, I hate this, man. I really do. So D-Pro, as you know, you know, two, three years ago was a really reasonable intermediate level lighting console. 
it was a really reasonable software that that was good, well priced, and, and did a lot of stuff that you could use in a show. Was it ever perfect? No. Um, but man, I hate this. There's been no development on it, and I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, I've I've paid attention to it. I'm watching it always, but earlier this year I came to the point where I said I've just got to stop recommending Deep Pro because they've fallen behind all the rest of the consoles in the same range because they haven't updated the thing, you know? And so and so I hate that because it was a good piece of software, but as you know, as you're saying, um, you've got to keep software up to date not only with um, the latest, you know, basically just keeping it working with the latest software from Mac, Windows, whoever, um, but also... Um, you know, you've, you've got to add new features because all the other consoles are, are adding new features. There are features that make my life easier in other software that I would love to see in Deep Pro. And unfortunately, I just don't see it happening. Um, both, you know, DMXs and Deep Pro um, are developed by the same developer um, who's not, you know, technically employed by Antec. And I just hate that over the past few years, it seems like um, I don't know what's going on, obviously, and I don't really want to know um, <laughs> fully what's going on. <laughs> but uh, I, I do know that from the outside, we can see there have been very few to no um, development on these these uh, software packages, and it really stinks. I hate it. I, I really do. Um, and so um, now I'm not recommending Deep Pro anymore to people. I hate that um, you know this happened because I used to recommend it to people. And truth be told, I still have people that, that started using Deep Pro and they still love it and they're still happy with it. But um, yeah, I wouldn't hold out for, for any updates. I don't see them coming. Um, it's very sad and unfortunate. And you may want to look at another choice. Um, some the options that I usually that I recommend now, Nick, um, if you know you decide Deep Pro is not right for you anymore, of course you've got your show programmed in there. And so there's a fair amount of like, you know, you you don't want to um you know, your show's already programmed, so you don't want to have to reprogram everything. But I would look on the intermediate level for software that's like it um, at the Mac software light key if you're on a Mac, um, which you said you are, and also the Light Shark console, which is actually a standalone console um, that can be used. The nice thing about light key, at least, is um, it's, it's a yearly subscription, um, but you could use the output hardware that you're using with D-Pro, most likely. Um, I think pretty much anything you can use with D-Pro except the DMX's box will work with Lightkey. Um, and so, you know, that's, uh, that's you know, hopefully that helps, man. But so sorry about that. I hate that. You know, I really do. I really do hate that. Um, next question, John Gilbert said, If I were to become a member of yours, would you be able to help me with one-on-one guidance for utilizing SoundSwitch uh, show designs? for busking or on-the-fly light jockeying that I'm wanting to do with the application? Are you able to help map these commands to a MIDI controller? Or is there a simplified and easier way to sync lights with music and chases that capture a certain feel as a DJ duo would do with one more focused on the lighting control? I realize we could use a traditional lighting board, though sound switch looks much easier. Any thoughts would be helpful, though I have Showcat Artist 3 and haven't wrapped my beginner brain around the basics of that software. Okay, John. So you're asking a lot of things, and yeah, we will totally, in the labs, you know, the kind of things you're asking about, we can help you with. But I want to unpack this a little here, too, um, because I think you've got a lot of good questions in here, and there's a lot really to unpack. So it looks like you've got a DJ duo set up uh, that you're you're a part of or doing, where one person's going to be more focused on the music, the other more focused on the lighting, okay? Um, and 
your experience with, you know, per se professional software is Showcad Artist 3, which I understand your frustration because Showcad, you know, some of these lighting, some of these lighting software, let's talk about this, um, are not really designed for easy programming and good lighting shows. Like I just went to their website and they did update their website, even though their software still looks ancient. Um, and they, they say fast and easy work. But the thing is, it's like, who is it designed to be fast and easy for? And for this, I think it's for like people that program, um, automation systems, like not, it doesn't look easy for your average Joe. In fact, it looks very confusing. And I, and I think, I would have a lot of problem being able to program this system. Um, and Showcat, I, I think you've written in before, but it's really not like a live performance software. It's really designed to program lights like on the outside of buildings and in lobbies and stuff. So, and so I don't think it's, I think you should take that one off the table. I know you have it already, but I think it's probably um, more frustration than good just because it's not a good fit for the type of show that you're doing. Um, even though they sell themselves on their website and they act like it could be a really great stage controller, it's really designed for, for permanent installs and for basically IT people to, um, to program. That's what I see when I look at it. And I've downloaded it before and played with the demo, um, I think. But, <clears throat> but it's not an easy software. It, it looks really confusing to me, and I think it is. So the question then becomes what software to use. And there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, I've messed with SoundSwitch. I've demoed it. I've used it a little. Um, and it's pretty good. I like it. My worry with SoundSwitch, and of course, any software nowadays you can download and demo, including SoundSwitch. Um, you can't plug in lights, but you can at least demo it and see how it works. Um, the biggest thing with an easy software, and I talk about this a lot, right, is that if a software is super easy to learn, it often doesn't allow a lot of complexity of control. It often doesn't allow you to do more complex playback that you may or may not want to do. And that's really the fight and the challenge in something like this, right? Um, you know, maybe you get into SoundSwitch and watch their tutorial videos because that's probably one of the main reasons I haven't gotten into it more besides the fact that it it's really geared at DJs that are using specific um, DJ software. And, you know, they're using Serato or there's a few others that I think it supports. Um, and playing back pre-recorded music for the most part, that's kind of the market it's really designed at. And I'm not sure you quite fit into that. Now, could SoundSwitch potentially work for you? Yeah, so like I mentioned, they have a lot of tutorial videos and their tutorial videos on their site are really good. So I would watch those first and play with it to see if it seems like it would be right for you. Because I'm not totally sure. Um, now, the cool thing, what I often recommend for something like what you're talking about is going with something maybe like Onyx that I recommend, which is a professional-grade lighting console. But um, with, I believe with the program Show Cockpit, I believe you can go ahead and, um, and um, you know, you can sync the beat from Ableton or whatever you're using, but you're probably using Ableton if you're a live DJ duo, I'm guessing. That seems to be the most popular software there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, with something like Onyx, okay, it's a professional grade console. So there's a bit more of a learning curve in programming. it. 
But the the cool thing about Onyx and what I explain people a lot about a professional grade console like Onyx is that you can set it up however you want. And you can set it up to be really simple and really easy to run a live show. The key is setting it up right. And um, you're, you're asking about the labs and becoming a member. And no matter which console you use, we've got action plans in there that show you and give you really good examples of how to set up a, a show file in any console so that you're able to busk on the fly really well. Because the big challenge with busking is making a really smooth setup where you can have the complexity, have the ability to control things in depth however much you want, but also be able to quickly change the entire look on the stage, etc. And so that that's the tough part. And that's where um, how you lay the console out and how you pro- how you lay the playback, the faders and buttons and whatnot, um, how you lay those out is probably more important than the exact console. Now, the consoles are all going to have certain limitations. And honestly, um, which console is right for you, whether it be Onyx or something like the Light Shark or something like Light Key on a Mac or something like Sound Switch, um, a lot of it's going to depend on how much of a learning curve you're up for, um, how much complexity you're going to want in the end, and how many lights you're controlling. Because if you're not controlling a, a, a number of lights, like a ton, the Mac software light key is really, really good. Um, but there's other ones too. Um, so anyways, I've, I've blabbered on a lot about this, but um, you know, I hope that gives you some idea and some thought into how this could help you um, playback a show and how you could make this work really well. Um, something like Onyx doesn't use MIDI controllers super well, but it can be done. Um, something like that Light Key, that Mac one, maybe you want to look deeper into that because it uses MIDI controllers really well um, and really easily. So anyways, John, that's a lot of information, but yeah, if you join the labs, we'll definitely help you. That's the kind of stuff we do every day in there and uh, definitely something that um, we, we're, we're here for you for. So last question here. Um, Craig asks, Craig Shear asks, um, I thought of a good topic you might like to cover, which is about outside the technical area. It doesn't matter. I'll answer anything if it's about lighting, Craig. Um, so how do you go about selling your services, pricing, and communicating a lighting design or vision to the client? All right, Craig. So this is, I mean, this is a, a large bottle to uncrack per se. This, there, there's a lot of ways to look at this. There really are. Um, because selling lighting design can look like a number of things depending on what the output is or what the client is trying to do, right? Um, you know, truth be told, I fell into the niche um, as a professional designer. And what I typically do for people a lot of the time is um, maybe a small amount of actual designing for a given show you know, or, or even more than that, that I'll do at, at a agreed upon rate. Basically I'll first separate out the design and the execution of the lighting show. Okay. So actually designing it, figuring out what lights to do, use, where to put it, drawing up the drawing, uh, if that's needed, stuff like that. Um, I will typically do either for a fixed hourly rate, which I'll only do for clients who I've worked with a lot and who I trust to not be like cheap and be like, you're spending too much time. You know, um, clients that are just like, however long it takes is fine. Um, we trust you. You know, I'm good with hourly. If it's not somebody I've worked with a lot or uh, I don't feel comfortable, you know, working hourly like that, then I'll say, okay, 
designing this show will cost X amount. And then doing the show will cost X amount. And if it's like a one-time show, you know, you can bundle those together, right? You can basically say, okay, I will design this show and program it, run it, you know, include whatever labor and physical doing that you're going to do, you know, include all of that in and just make it one price. But if it's potentially going to be something that's like multiple shows or shows over time or a yearly show or, you know, a show this month and then in a couple months or whatever, then there's different ways to structure that um, to say, okay, the design's one cost and then the actual running of the shows is a different cost. Truth be told, um, pricing a lighting design is almost more about how much you want or don't want to do this show. <laughs> is that terrible? Um, at a certain point, you know, you can charge more if you don't want to do the show. And then if you end up doing it, that means you're getting paid well, which is always good for shows that can be a bit of a nightmare. Um, that's one good tip. But I mean, this is really vague, gosh, you know, but, but I would structure, I pretty much always, when I sell a service uh, of lighting to somebody, I'm basing it um, at least partially off of how much time it's, I think it's going to take me, whether that's how long the show's going to take, et cetera, et cetera. I like to, for physical shows, have either a rate per day that I'm on site or hourly, um, or in like the corporate event space here in America, it's really popular to do a day rate, which is for your first 10 hours, and then time and a half after that, meaning that if my day rate was $600, then time and a half on that would be, you know, one and a half times 60, um, which would be $90 an hour for anything over that. And I, I always like having a structure like that, where, because for a show, there's often a lot of things that you're not in control of, right? <laughs> you're not in control of whether it goes super late, whether something's really disorganized and you're stuck working twice as much as you thought, or whatever. You know, you're not in control of any of that, okay? And so you want to go ahead and just think about, okay, what if I do something for a flat fee, then I have to be pretty in control of of all the situations surrounding it and leave a little bit of buffer for things to take much longer, um, than, than I think they should. Um, and so th those are just some thoughts, Craig, um, you know, truth be told, what you're saying there is very vague. Um, but you said, what are some tips for communicating a lighting design or vision to the client? And so I think the best thing you can do is have lots of pictures of things that you've done before. Because then you can literally show a picture and say, hey, look at this, which I did for someone else. Now, we're not going to do this exact thing for you, but see how I did this part of it? We could do something like that and then show it to them. Of course, um, having a 3D visualizer like Capture, or sometimes people use programs like Cinema 4D or Blender, which are more, um, Blender's a free one, an open source one, but they're more 3D modeling programs and not lighting visualizer programs, but they can 3D model a stage and stuff. Uh, and then you could show that to a client. But typically, if you're going to invest that kind of time into it, it's going to be a bigger show that's got more money attached to it, right? Um, to spend the time to make that 3D visualization. Um, though, people that are good in these programs, especially if they do a lot of the same type of show, they start to build templates of different stages and rooms and stuff. And they can take a template or a previous design, change some things out pretty quick, and get some new renderings for somebody new. Um, but anyways... Yeah, great, great question. Um, the you know the best way 
um, because this is something visual, is to have a picture of what you're going to do. Or maybe a picture of something someone else did. Uh, the biggest thing with pictures, though, that I have to say is it either needs to be 100% accurate, it needs to be like all the dimensions are right, um, and it's a look you'd actually do in the show, or you need to make sure that you very clearly communicate that this visualization, this picture, whatever, is not 100% accurate. Because I ran into that before with a company that, I, that I've done work for in the past where they would get these, they would make these renderings, they would have an outside firm do the renderings, okay, it was a pretty big company, and they give them to the client, basically with the intention that it was, you know, what I would consider an artistic concept, right? Not perfectly what it's going to look like, but a concept. And a lot of times these concepts, the room, like this would be a hotel ballroom, uh, corporate event type vis visualization. And oftentimes the dimensions of the room in the visualization were way off what the actual room was, right? Maybe the room had a 20 foot ceiling, but the visualization showed 30 or the visualization showed a 15 foot ceiling. Maybe the room was super wide in the visualization, but in real life it's not. And then the way that everything scales within that is really messed up. And you just have to communicate really clearly because sometimes we would get on site with a client and they would pull out their nice color printed, probably spent five bucks at FedEx uh, office to print the thing. They would pull out their picture and they would say, but it doesn't look like this. And, you know, I'd be the one who, who would be stuck in a hard place because I didn't do the initial design. I was just brought in to do the lighting based off that design. And I didn't have the tools to make it look exactly like the visualization showed. And usually people are happy at the end of it. You could talk them down off their ledge and stuff or whatnot. But it's important that if you are doing something that's purely conceptual, um, that's not completely, you know, accurate or realistic, that you note that it's a concept and you make sure they understand that. Um, other than that, you know, the best way to show your value and to show what lighting does for a show is to get your foot in the door and grow from there, right? So I'm all about long-term clients. And so maybe you have a client, they're uneasy about lighting. You know, this I'm just kind of reading through the lines about these questions here um, and, and trying to see, you know, what exactly you're thinking of when you ask this question. So you've got a client and they're talking to you about lighting. Maybe they're talking about adding them. Maybe they're talking about, uh, you know, but they're not sure about the cost, etc. And you're trying to communicate that, right? Basically talking to show them, hey, yes, this can be expensive if we're going to do a lot of stuff, but it's worth it, right? And you're trying to communicate that. Uh, some of the best ways to do that is to just start small and show them, okay, this is a small example of what we can do. And, and this is what it did. And of course, if you've worked with other clients before and they don't mind uh, referring or, you know, giving you a review or just writing something up, um, or taking a phone call from a, a prospective new client, you know, that can also help too. When your new client calls somebody else and they say, oh man, Craig brought in some lights. Our show just was amazing. It was so good. He was so professional. And what this did, of course, you got to think results because nobody cares if the lighting is cool. Okay, a few people might, but people care about results. So what's the end goal? Is the band hoping to have their most epic show ever that sells out and sets them up to sell out more in the future? Are they helping to sell a ton of merch? Are they, is it a corporate event where they're trying to, you know, really engage the audience and have people focus and sell a lot of whatever? You know, I don't know. 
Um, but you've got to look at what your client wants. As uh, I think Dale Carnegie, somebody said in an old book that, um, somebody said in an old book that, you know, you can get everything you want if you help another enough other people get what they want. Meaning that if you figure out what their end goal, what their result is that they want, and you help them get that, then they're going to love you forever. <laughs> they're going to love you forever. Um, and so, and so that's, that's about what I got guys. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, I'll do more of these in the future. Definitely. But I'm just, I'm really surprised at how few questions came in being that I get a fair amount of requests from people, um, for help. And I, you know, we've got a lot of labs members, of course, they can get questions answered anytime. Um, but anywho, um, Today's podcast is brought to you by Amazon, guys. If you like this show, if you want to see hear more of it, shop through learnstagelighting.com slash Amazon. I get a small commission at no additional cost to you from Amazon. And yes, that commission continues to get smaller. But regardless, it's still worth it. And I appreciate when you do purchase through it. It does help the site out. It helps me out, helps us to grow, and helps this show. Once again, learnstagelighting.com slash Amazon. We will see you there. Have a great week. Thanks. Thanks.